Amen. So good to sing together. Um, I know that it's actually been difficult for some. You're kind of thinking, man, how do we do this again? What is this? Oh, I, I can hear my own voice, and I'm not sure I like it. Um, well, can I just encourage you that we like it? And um, no matter what you sound like, I can't sing, but I'm singing with all my heart, okay? Um, so would you sing with all your heart with me? Try and cover me up a little bit, and uh, we'll cover each other up as we encourage each other with songs of glory to God. Um, as Darren said earlier, my name's Ian. Particularly warm welcome to you if you're new with us. We are thrilled that you're here with us. And uh, we are continuing in our series in 1 and 2 Samuel called Heart and House. Now, Mark Twain, probably one of America's best ever storytellers, said this. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So, throw off the bowlines. Those are the lines that attach the ship to the land, I believe. Sail away from the safe harbor. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover. True. I hope you have been dreaming big dreams. I hope through lockdown you were dreaming big dreams of what you believe you are going to do in your life. But will any dream do? I know it's not Joseph, right? We're not in Joseph. We're talking about David. But will any dream do? And what is the relationship between God's will and our dreams? So I want us to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20 if you have a Bible with you. I'd encourage you to bring a Bible, switch off the phone, um, and, or put it on airplane mode if, if you uh, don't want to not take your phone. And look uh, at the Bible passage in 1 Samuel 20. We're joining David in quite a sticky situation. His father-in-law has tried to kill him. In fact, he tried to kill him four times in one day with spears and everything. I mean, I know father-in-law is going to be difficult. We've had a, uh, my in-laws with us this week, but he didn't bring his spear, thankfully. And uh, yeah, he's in a place where he's thinking, where next? What do I do? Verses 1 through 4, um, let me just read those out to you just now. And uh, we see David wondering, what is it? What is it that I do next? Then David fled from Nioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Saul is dreaming. There are three characters here. We've got Saul, we've got Jonathan, and we've got David. Saul's dreaming one dream. Jonathan and David are dreaming another dream. 
And Saul here is dreaming of being a mighty king, a conquering king. He's still holding on to that dream. And if you've been following the story, you'll know that he's now reached a stage where God is not taking him in that direction, yet he holds on tightly. Now remember, this is Israel. This is God's holy nation. And Saul had started well and actually committed himself to God, but now after slipping up, he is not willing to let go. He's had a taste of power. And he wants it to remain. And in fact, he wants more. He's not willing to be the humble servant that God is calling him to be. He's not willing to let go of position. It's like this. Look, I know. I know what's going on here. I can see it, but I'm not listening. La, 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 not listening. Have you, have you ever been like that? Is there, is there something in your life where you, you realize it's being taken away from you, and it's the right time to move on, but you're going, la, 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 don't want to hear it. Nope. He's not listening. He's saying, my kingdom come. My will be done. His kingdom come, not his will be done. It might have started off like that, but now the power that he'd received through God, he doesn't want to let go of. I recently listened and watched some heartbreaking long-form journalism um, about a couple of different churches, churches that over the years have influenced me. Over the years, I've enjoyed listening to the preaching or the music. And it was really hard for me to watch or listen to these things. But there's a few things that came out from each of them. One is this. These churches that were falling apart had chosen competence over character. They had said, we don't care that the godliness that we need in our leaders isn't there because we are seeing X, Y, or Z. People come to faith. Lots of people come to our services. All kinds of transformation happening in the community. We'll ignore that. We'll ignore the character flaws because they're competent, because they can do the job. Another thing I noticed was that people weren't chosen over programs. People became dispensable. Instead, it was the program that mattered. Drive on with the program, no matter what. Instead of loving the people. I also noticed that it was about being successful leaders and not servant leaders. It's easy to criticize from a distance. But I imagine all of these churches started well. Maybe even with the right heart motives. But they weren't dreaming in the end God's dream. They were dreaming their own dream. Are you dreaming your own dream? Or are you dreaming God's dream? Whose kingdom? Whose will? David is convinced that Saul's going to kill him. So he runs to his best mate, a place of solace. And Jonathan, at first, he doesn't believe David because he's been naive. 
things. My dad wouldn't do that. My dad would tell me if he was going to do something like that. He'd taken an oath back in chapter 19, verse 6. Saul listened to Jonathan, it says, and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And it looks like Jonathan believed him, took him at his word. But Saul's dream wasn't wrapped up in the dreams that God had given him. It wasn't the same dreams as Jonathan and David. They weren't after God. He wasn't after God's heart anymore. And David had the discernment to see it. Jonathan didn't. Glasgow Grace, we're making a few commitments. We have made a few commitments to protect our hearts in things like this. We always want to have character-assessed leaders, and that often takes time and relationship. People can look the real deal, and you go, yeah, great, come on in, like, you're such a great, I can see you're a leader, come on, you come and lead this and you lead that. But what we found is that even already, if, if people don't get that arm around the shoulder and quickly into leadership, and react badly, then suddenly we see their character and we think, well, actually, slow is good. Let's take our time. Let's wait and see. We want to see people who adore God, who love Him, who are living for Him. Not perfect people. None of us are perfect. But people who are honest and upright and looking to live for God, who are authentic, who are humble, who are willing to be honest with their own failings. The second thing is that we want to have multiplication over mega. Now, I couldn't think of another M, right? So, you know, we're never going to be a mega church. We're in Scotland. <laughs> well, let me take that right back. God can do anything, okay? But I imagine that the growth that will come in Scotland will come through many churches, not a few mega churches. Even still, if we were in the Bible Belt in the United States, we'd want to do multiplication and not mega. Because we see that when people focus on the big and trying to be big and building this kingdom, often, not always, but often it ends up in a really toxic place. So we don't want to be a church of three, four hundred. We want to multiply independent churches. In other words, send people and teams to plant churches as we grow. Invest in people to go not just to stay and somehow make us some massive church to rule them all. And we want to choose people over programs and platforms. So I'll give you an example. This week, we've been working on a real problem that we've got when we move into a building where we don't have storage or we don't have fantastic setup like this. We've been working on the problem so many church plants have, storage. Boring, I know. But... This week, that's what we've been spending quite a bit of time on. And we've decided that we're going to have a van. Storage on wheels. The reason we've decided to have a van, storage on wheels, is that we don't want to burn you out. Because we worked out that teams would have to arrive at half past 12 for a half past three meeting 
at some lockup somewhere, load up vans and cars or whatever it's going to be, and then drive it all over and then unload it all and take it upstairs and wherever we're going to be and then set it all up and then afterwards tear it all down and then take it back in cars and then back to a lockup and, and then unload it and take it all. And before you know it, it's like half seven, eight o'clock. And we, we just don't think we can do that to you. <laughs> so we're going for storage on wheels because we want to be about people over programs and platforms. Perhaps dreaming with God is easy for me to say right now. Sure, we moved our family from an idyllic situation down on the south coast. It was nice. Sun shone, in-laws nearby, babysitters on tap. It was pretty cool. Sat under some great leaders. We loved our church. But we now live in Scotland's biggest and best city. We sure deal with some increasing stigma about being a pastor. People think that's weird, just in case you didn't know. And um, sure, there's other things that we have to deal with, but I get to do what I love. Like, I I enjoy this. (laughs) I hope you enjoy it too. We journey together. Jonathan, however, is sacrificing his throne, his relationship with his dad, his family. He's risking his life. How does he find the strength to do this? To keep dreaming God's dream and not his own dreams, not just choose the easy option and run away. And what about believers in Afghanistan right now? Reliable sources. So I have to say, some of these things that we read online aren't reliable. Okay, there's going to be a lot of stories out there right now. Make sure that you work out if the sources are actually reliable or not. But there seem to be some reliable sources coming out saying some parts of, in some parts of Afghanistan, the Taliban are going door to door, searching for Bibles, Christian literature, marking houses. A mission agency um, called Fr- Frontiers Alliance International said this, the Taliban has hit list of known Christians they are targeting to pursue and kill. The U.S. embassy is defunct, and there is no longer a safe place for believers to take refuge. All borders to neighboring countries are closed, and all flights to and from have been halted, with the exception of private planes. People are fleeing into the mountains, looking for asylum. They are fully reliant on God, who is the only one who can and will protect them. What stops them denouncing their faith? What stops them from turning to the easy option to surviving and keeping their homes? What stops Jonathan giving up on David? Why still pursue God's dream, declaring your will be done, your kingdom come, and not (laughs) in this situation, Lord, (laughs) no disrespect, but my will be done. What stops them from doing that? How can we say in a situation like that, that dreaming with God is best? Well, that's the question we're going to answer, verses 5 to 34. Now, David here was the leader amongst David and Jonathan. And so, he starts to lead. He made a plan. And he makes this plan that at the new moon feast, where he would be expected to be there, remember, he's the son-in-law, son-in-law of the king, Saul. He's expected to be there. And he comes up with his plan with Jonathan to go. And if Saul 
is missing David and says to, to Jonathan, hey, where is he? That he would then tell him he's gone to Bethlehem, his hometown, to have a sacrificial meal with his brothers. And it's an interesting tactic because what he's really doing here is he's reminding Saul that the last time that the family got together for a sacrificial meal, Samuel, the prophet, said David was going to be king. And there's, without doubt, he would have caught wind of that story by now, Saul. And so he's kind of goading him. He's saying, all right, let's see how he's going to react. Let's see if he truly does want to kill me. And so they make the plan. Big risk for Jonathan. He's showing his cards to his dad, who also happens to be the most powerful person in the kingdom. David realizes it. He pleads with Jonathan to do the right thing. And he pleads with him according to the commitments that they've already made as friends. Now remember, this friendship was really deep. These guys had already made great commitments to one another. And these commitments were not just based on their friendship, but on the friendship of God. These were covenants before the Lord. Verse 8. Jonathan doesn't just have strong feelings for David. David doesn't just have strong feelings for Saul. They have committed to one another. And they've tied that up with the will of God. They said, we're going to go for God together no matter what. And so here David is reminding him of that. And 1 Samuel uh, 20 verse 8 says this, As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. This is David. Why hand me over to your father? So not only is Jonathan risking his life, not only is he going to try and find out what's going on and whether Saul wants to kill David or not, but here is David as part of this relationship he has with Jonathan, but more ultimately with God himself, is saying, I am willing to lay down all the success I've had. He's willing to do the very thing that Saul is unwilling to do. He's willing to say that if there is sin in me, if I've been disqualified, I will humble myself and I will not take the throne in the future. Because this king, not king yet, has a heart after God's. This is what is called in the Hebrew, hesed love. The love we have received from God, this freely given love, a love that is not earned, a love that is written into a covenant, a commitment that is much greater than any promise, a non-negotiable commitment that God has given us. And now David and Jonathan are modeling in response to his covenant. In his commentary, Dale Ralph Davis says this, said is not merely love, but loyal love, not merely kindness, but dependable kindness, not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. 
But their friendship is wrapped up in a commitment to God's will. You see that? They're so together, so tight. Not just because they're great buddies. Because they adore God together. Because they're willing to give their lives to God together. That's why Jonathan says to David in verse 14, Show me loving kindness, hesed love, like the Lord. So when they make these pleas to one another, they're saying, would you love me like God loves me? We need some friendships like that, don't we? True love has an order to it. Do you know that? We can only truly love God if we know the irresistible love of God for us. We can only truly love one another when we know what it is to love God. We can only truly love our neighbor when we know the love of our brothers and sisters. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as a propitiation, a substitutionary atonement for our sin. Therefore, love one another. Love flows from God. If you're struggling to love right now in any relationship, Go to God and receive his love and find the flow from there. It comes downstream from God. That's true love. David likely wrote Psalm 13 in the months he spent in the hills after these events. I imagine Afghan Christians now being comforted by these words in the hills even now. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look at me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Verse 8, David knows the kind of leaders that God is looking for. First, he calls himself a servant of Jonathan. Now, strictly speaking, that is still true, because Jonathan is the prince, he's the heir apparent officially, but between them, they know that David is going to be the next king before God, and they also know that David is the true leader amongst them. Yet, God, sorry, yet David calls John, says to Jonathan, I'm your servant. Servant leadership. We in the church, when we lead, should be so different we agree with each other all the time. It doesn't mean the leaders always have to agree with you, okay? That's not what it means. But what it does mean is that there's service. They're serving you. They're serving the church. They're serving the city. They're serving God. They're not serving their own kingdom. David then pauses from persuading Jonathan and putting together this strategy with some striking vulnerability. 
doesn't just criticize Saul. He questions his own heart. Just seen that a minute ago, but it's just worth noting again. David is willing to lay his crown down. Are you willing to lay yours down at any moment if that is the will of the Lord? Who are you really living for? If your dreams were shattered tomorrow, would they be so wrapped up in God's dreams that it wouldn't matter the circumstances? Notice Jonathan puts Hesed love into action. It's not theoretical. It doesn't remain in his coffee cup from his quiet time. It doesn't remain in his little journal. I hope you do journal. I hope you do have coffee in the morning and spend time with God. But that is not where Hesed love remains. It's put into action in the real world. In the field with David, verse 12, he commits to take action, first of all. He says, then... Uh, It says this, Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. Then he goes to the feast, and in verse 28, he answers Saul exactly how they planned. The plan had worked a little too well, because Jonathan is nearly on the end of his father's spear this time. He loses it, David's was right. And so he returns to the field at the appointed time, and they'd made this little plan that if Jonathan shot his arrows beyond the stone where David was to hide, and then sent his servant boy beyond that stone to get those arrows, then he would know that Saul was out to kill him. So that's what he did. He then sends the servant home. And David knew for sure His faithful friend, Jonathan, had kept to the plan, and Saul was after him. Hesed is, Hesed love is is more than words. He doesn't make big promises and then doesn't follow through. It isn't unreliable. No one in history has taken on responsibility like Jesus. He is Hesed love. Here's what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians about Jesus. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I used to be late all the time. I was 19, 20, 21. Turned up to church like half an hour late, didn't I, Linz? I didn't know why. But no one at the time grabbed hold of me and gave me a shake to tell me the truth about how my space cadet tendencies were not Christ-like in the slightest. I was honestly innocent in it. Now, what I mean by that is I was totally sinning, 
But at the same time, I didn't see a problem with it. I, had, I was clueless to the problem. I had no real realization that this was a horrible version of authenticity. I let others down. I disrespected people. I just ignored all these amazing people who had spent so much time investing in me and doing things in the church and elsewhere for me at university, lecturers, just totally disrespected them all. And at the same time, I'll be honest, I thought the leaders had it wrong. I was like, these guys are idiots. This is all you need to do. I look back and I'm so embarrassed. But I'm also so thankful for the grace and love of God. I'm also so thankful that I've been working through some of that stuff. Still not perfect, but in desperate need to honor people and love people in a Christ-like way. Trying my best to do that. Failing Many times, I'm sure some of you have been on the end of those failings. But together, we must pursue a love like this that is not flaky, but is reliable and solid and committed, a hesed love. A love that is not willing to just let others down because we can't be bothered. A love that goes deep love that reflects the love God has for us. He will never let us down. David was fleeing to the hills like many Afghan believers today. Their dreams are God's and not their own. They pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I just think, oh Lord, how can they say it is better? Because we know that with Jesus, His dreams were his father's because we know that he was willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We know that he said, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. He didn't just go to the hills outside of Jerusalem being chased down He willingly went to a hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha. He chose the will of our Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. We know it's better because the earth shook and death was defeated. We know it's better because you were, Jesus, you were the sacrifice born in Bethlehem, the town of David, who received our punishment and caused our sin to be as far as the east is from the west. We know it is better because he was the firstborn from among the dead who rose on the third day. We know it is better because the curtain was torn in two and no longer did our sins separate us from the presence of God, but we could be with him forever. We know it is better because Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He ascended on high and he poured out the Holy Spirit and the church was born and we're here today because of him. We know it is better because we share the same life 
that Jesus received on that third day in our own hearts. We are alive with Christ. We know it is better because Jesus is Hesed love. And the, the, these final verses get me. They really get me. Verses 35 to 42. When our dreams lead to the sweetest tears, our chapter finishes next to Ezer, the stone of departure, where David and Jonathan have the ultimate airport goodbye. Let me read it to you, verses 35 to 42. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow behind you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, here's where he gets weepy. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Those of us who are loved by God and who love one another will cry many times these sweet tears. The purposes of God's kingdom, we need to hold each other tight but release each other quickly. We still feel this from when we left Gateway about four years ago now. Is that right? Something like that. 2018. Three years ago. Three years ago. Math isn't great. And we had this uh, meeting at the end of our time with Gateway where we all went away for a church weekend away and they gathered around us and and prayed over us. And uh, Matt and I, every time we talked about leaving and going to Glasgow, Matt Hosier, who leads the church, uh, leads the eldership team in Gateway. We couldn't do it without crying. Just couldn't. (laughs) We'd both get up and just blubber. And somebody else would come and take over. It was painful, but those were sweet tears because we were both committed to the Lord. We both knew this was the right thing. It's been hard at times. It's been hard to remember that committed to the Lord. Daniel and Amber, we would love to send them out on mission soon. I can't tell you where they're possibly going to go from here in a public place because it's a dangerous place to go on mission. But can I encourage you that as a church, we hold them even closer knowing that they're going to go because we want to hold them so close that it actually sweetens the relationship when they go, even though that will make it more painful. We need to allow these moments to be painful in order to have good gospel relationships going forward, supporting one another, loving one another, 
being in constant contact, supporting financially, all these sorts of things that we will want to do, but unless our, if our hearts are cold, it's not going to happen. Warm hearts for one another and mission together. Oh, guys, <laughs> let's dream big dreams, but not just any dream. Dreams of Abba Father, dreams of revival, dreams of transformed communities across Glasgow, dreams of sending people to make a difference in other people's lives, dreams of people being truly loved who have never really been loved before, dreams of God coming in power, dreams of Christ's return. Dreams of the hope that we know is within us because Christ has risen from the dead and will return and take us home and we will be with him forever. We have an unshakable hope and his name is Jesus. Hesed Lord. For Jesus will return. He will renew. He will raise us from our graves and will bring us into his presence forever.